I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. with another episode of Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. And uh, my guest today is Shep Gordon. Shep, welcome. Aloha from beautiful Hana. Yeah, Shep is up in uh, Hana in Maui. Uh, and anybody who has been to Maui knows the extraordinary beauty of uh, Hana. And if you haven't been, you ought to go there. This, yeah. w- there's the, what is it, this... Those little waterfalls, they're called the seven sacred somethings, what? Seven sacred pools. Seven sacred pools. Yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah, Are you nearby there? Um, maybe a half hour. Oh, really? <coughs> yeah. So uh, I could go on and on, and I'll go on a little bit about Shep. And uh, there, there's a wonderful movie that Mike Myers did called Super Mensch, uh, The Legacy of Shep Gordon. And... Uh, it's on Netflix still, I believe, and you must, everybody who's listening to this, not only, it's a beautiful film, but very entertaining, and uh, uh, with got a lot, of, a lot of love and caring and compassion in it, so uh, yeah, I can't more highly recommend it, but just to give you, I'll tell you, Shep, I don't even know if we've talked about this, but when I was in the music business in Los Angeles, Krishnas and I had a label with a third partner who's an old friend of yours, Paul Sloman. One of my favorite people. Love Paul. Yeah. 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 I, I, I had spoken to uh, Krishna about it. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was one of the first people I met in the music industry. We lived in the same motel, the Hollywood oh, really? Landmark. Yeah. Which oh. was where I saw it. I got into the business from there. And uh, 
he was really helpful because he actually knew something and I didn't. So he would share <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, he was funny. managing a group called the Churls. Oh, that's it. I remember. Yeah, C-H-U-R-L-S from Canada. Yeah. And he, while we were putting the company together, of course, Paul had so many great contacts in the music business, most especially in the recording area because he managed great studios and so on. And he used to, he used to mention my friend Shep Gordon, and he yeah. was sort of a, as an example. Paul was very, very particular about the few people in the music business. You know, it's got a lot of, uh, shall we say, uh, shady characters has yeah, had like, over his like the rest of the planet. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, okay, true. <laughs> Look where we are now, yeah. Look where uh, we are. Yeah. Look where we are. Oh, my God. We won't go yeah. there, at least yeah. just yet. Um, but, uh, Paul, uh, he had such great love for you and uh, the, the way that you approached uh, everybody and everything. And uh, He had a great so, partner, too, Andy, a bass player. Yeah. And Andy Muson. Andy Muson. They were just fantastic, the two of them. They were, yeah. they were my hangout buddies. Yeah. So everybody out there, just in case... Uh, uh, Shep has uh, been in the music business. He's been in the restaurant business. He is in the restaurant business. We just had a fabulous meal with him a few weeks ago, or a month ago or so. Uh, and uh, film business and so on. But the variance of who you have worked with is staggering. And I'll say, of course, Alice Cooper is, uh, you've been with Alice for, what, 50 years? Is it uh, crazy? Going into our that? 50th year. Yeah, and... Uh, Okay, then we go to Groucho Marx, okay, <laughs> revived, you know, kept his career going after, you know, uh, Gary Wright, who I worked with. Who, oh, I yeah, Gary. Gary, wow. Yeah, yeah. and Dream all Weaver. of that, yeah, Dream, Mr. Dream Weaver, and um, George Clinton to Rick James, <laughs> Pink Floyd, to Anne Murray. In, I was just in uh, Napa Valley. Oh, really? And... Um, I was going to sleep and some really loud music started. And I said, gee, someone's, there's a car driving by playing George Clinton. It was George Clinton playing <laughs> on the corner at a no. free festival. Yes. <laughs> it was hysterical. Did you, did you I, see I, it? I, oh, yeah, I got dressed and went down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. Um, and um, so, and... How about Anne Murray? Okay, I'm from Canada. I'm from Montreal. Uh -huh. So <laughs> Anne Murray, I couldn't believe that when I saw that. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and Shep has been um, his uh, very, very uh, major abiding interest in uh, food and preparing food and uh, studied to be a cook and uh, has then really got the whole celebrity chef thing on television going from everyone from uh, Wolfgang Puck to E. Merrill, I guess would be the kind of the, yeah, the original, yeah. right? And um, and then film and uh, God, Kiss of the Spider Woman, The Duelist and Stop Making Sense. I didn't know you were involved with that, with, with uh -huh. David. Yeah. Uh, David Byrne, unbelievable. Yeah. And... Um, on and on and on. <laughs> Just tell me a little bit, though, in terms of your... And, and by the way, everybody, uh, Shep, uh, you, you certainly watch the movie, but also there's a wonderful book, a memoir-ish book that you put out a couple of years ago, not that long uh, ago. Published by uh, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. my. Exactly. I'm sure you were friendly, quite friendly with him. Yeah, yeah. a big loss. Yeah. Um, 
What's the name of the book, Chef? Uh, same thing. It's uh, I don't know if you remember, but I think it's Supermatch. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Well, talk a little bit about like your antecedents and and where I know you come from. What the Long Island shore somewhere, right? Yeah, started my journey Ocean started side. in uh, Long Island. Um, I was that first wave of uh, second generation uh, suburban Jewish kids. Yeah, uh, really lucky. Um, you know, uh, backyards, basketball courts, plenty to eat. Uh, dreams uh, lived in a period where um, because of circumstances um, realized that I actually maybe could do something in the world the Vietnam War I think motivated a lot of us to protest and actually see some results from our protests um, so a, for me that was a very uh, important part of my life, the fact that maybe you could actually do something um, rather than just be a spectator. Mm. And um, then went to school in Buffalo. <clears throat> um, went from Buffalo to the new school for social research. The first year it was open, um, didn't last long. <laughs> and um, at that time, California had uh, Governor Reagan yeah. And he was being really oppressive to the hippie community. It was at a time I when uh, everybody with long hair, if you drove a car, you got stopped and pushed up against the wall. Um, it was a really difficult time. And um, there, there was a generation of us second generation Jews who thought we lived on white horses and could charge into anything and save, save the day. Sort of like Minnie Mouse, Mighty Mouse. I mean, here he comes to save the day. Yeah, um, and I was one of them. So um, I had this thought in my head about how cruel this was. And then a recruiter came into the new school for social research, recruiting for the probation department of California. And I left school and took that job, and uh, ended up at Los Padrinos Juvenile Hall, oh. right outside of L.A. Um, mostly Latino young kids um, thought I was going to save the day. It turned out that it, it didn't work out well. <laughs> the police sort of set the other guards who were, uh, did not like me as a long hair. I had hair down to my, you know, almost to my waist. Um, and uh, the kids sort of beat me up the first day, got me out of there safely. They didn't do it. They, they could have hurt me a lot more. So I left, and um, just by luck, I ended up in a motel, um, heard some people screaming, had just come from a jail, still had my white horse that I was riding. I was going to save the day, <laughs> save this poor girl, and um, turned out they were making love, and uh, broke them up, and that girl ended up being Janis Joplin. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? Who introduced me the next day to as this freak who... <laughs> you know, stopped her from making love, and she was sitting with Jimi Hendrix, the Chambers Brothers, and Jim Morrison, all these, you know, like, uh, you know, Mount Rushmore rock stars. Yeah. I happen to have some, uh, in, in college, I had developed a pharmaceutical business, <laughs> um, and I happened to have some of my product with me, yeah. and when I saw these guys, I said, oh, my God, 
I have just found the greatest audience in the world yeah. for my products. <laughs> <Say the least. laughs> I'm going to get rich. <laughs> and we became friends. And after a few weeks, um, Jimi Hendrix said, are you Jewish? And I said, yeah. He said, you should be a manager. And he, <laughs> that's a qualification. And he introduced me to Alice. And oh, really? Started, yeah. And that started my journey. And, um, um, so all the rest came from that second generation Jew on his white horse <laughs> looking to save the world. <laughs> oh, my. Oh you never know how it's going to happen, but I think good intentions mm. lead to good results in one way, shape, or form in another. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody out there, I met Shep. Of course, I've known about Shep because of my partner, Paul Sloman. Um, and then uh, I met Shep because he pops into the Ramdas retreats with Krishnadas that we run in Maui. And, you know, just got to know, it's been a slow burn, getting to know each other a little bit. Um, and uh, I, it's funny because you, the way that you characterize yourself around that particular scene, you know, of spiritual teachings and so on and so forth. And uh, I... I, I, the other, that night that we were having dinner, you mentioned something around it. Yeah, no, I didn't come this time. And, I, you know, I'm slowly getting into, you know, that kind of a thing. And I just have to tell everybody out, uh, out there that my interest in, uh, as, aside from, you know, the wonderful people that Shep has met and celebrities and the kind of interactions he's had, is, is, uh, after seeing the film, is the way in which, uh, you the deportment and we could talk about the white horse which you know is um, there's a lot of that that's in us is the ego based thing of i'm going to save the world and then but what i what i got from you then and now you know watching the film and now is is somebody who really gives a shit and that's not easy to come by in terms of specially the 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 milieu that you did hang out in that you were able to um, not be caught in and the Buddhists would call this in tremendous self cherishing, right? <laughs> just talk about that a little bit, and just in terms of how that evolved for you, uh, and and the way in which uh, you know you have this great appreciation for doing something for somebody else, never mind who they are. Yeah, I, I you know I I um. It's funny. I never really question my motivations. Um, I just do what I feel is right to do. Um, and um, as I reflect backwards, I can make a story out of it. But mm -hmm. in reality, um, you know, I'd be, I would be confronted with something that just was unjust. Mm. And um, I think that Vietnam War experience burned into me the fact that you have to act. You, you know, there was a, there's a great line going around now in the political world from Martin Luther King that if you, if something about if you don't act, you're as guilty as the people who yeah. do. Um, and that's just, you know, I, I can build a great story backwards and mm. uh, talk about all kinds of stuff. But in reality, it had nothing to do with that. It was a, uh, uh, another, you know, human walking the planet, um, seeing something that just wasn't fair and having the the skills to maybe make some difference. Mm. And um, I just would bump into these things. I didn't look for them. 
Um, and that's just, you know, but I, I think the majority of us are born that way. It's life sort of takes away that kind of compassion if we allow it to, you know? Um, so I, I, I wish I had a clear path or, or, or something that could maybe help someone if they wanted to move in that. But for me, it was just really knee jerk reactions to situations with no overall philosophy. Mm. But uh, there were things, uh, maybe you can just point out a couple of experiences that kind of honed uh, you in terms of uh, acting. Uh, I mean, there's a, let's see, I, I was reading a thing here, something you did back, uh, uh, an interview did actually with the Rolling Stone some years ago about the book. Um, just, you know, talking about how you got through basically this the idea of self-serving stuff which is so prominent in the entertainment business and entertainment and uh, you know in in every aspect of it and and what are some of the things that kind of uh, honed and and maybe smoothed out the rough edges of your own uh, desire system I think um, I, I got very lucky in that um, something told me I was getting into trouble. Oh. Um, I, I sort of can remember that there was a moment, which I think I talk about in the book or in the movie. I was, um, I had my first movie in the Cannes Film Festival. And um, I won the festival. It was Ridley Scott's first movie. It's called The Duelist. Yeah, I know. Um, and the next thing I know, I'm taken to this restaurant in the south of France by Paramount Pictures, who financed the movie. <clears throat> and we have a great table because we won the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. And uh, I'm a pretty, at this point, this is maybe 77. I'm pretty atypical of my peer group at this point. I've got on a, a, a gold Coke spoon around my neck. <laughs> And I've got a uh, a Cuban cigar gold band from Cartier on my pinky. Um, and uh, I forget the name of the company, but they made these big baggy silk suits. That was really cool. Um, and um, in the room were all the people that I thought I wanted to be. Um, and um, you know, it was cl the Clint Eastwoods of life and the... Yeah, uh, Anthony Quinn's, mm -hmm. Barbara Streisand's, and Pavarotti's, and you know this room is filled. Everybody, and in those days you could still smoke, and most people were, and I was smoker. You know, most people were smoking, sweaty, and looking around. Nobody's looking at their table. They're all, oh, there's Barbara. Oh, there's, <laughs> and I had this revelation that I was becoming one of them. And like, oh my God, holy shit. Mm. Uh, you know, I looked out, I got the spoon on. I look at my clothes, I'm wearing a costume that I don't even understand. Um, um, I'm like, I'm becoming one of them. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but that's not ever who I thought I would become. Um, and I, I was completely living in the fool's girl gold, fool's gold part of that journey. You know, I had, a, I was, I just uh, married a playmate. I had the hottest nightclub in LA. I was driving a white Rolls Royce. 
Um, it was in that moment. And um, started really questioning, is this who I really want? Do I want to, is this what I want to do? This, and into the room walked this beautiful man, white hair, all dressed in white. The calm, it's like a, just like this calm, beautiful pond in Long Island, you know, when, mm. on a day when there's no wind, mm. just like, so calm. And obviously a power figure, which always attracted me. I was always attracted by power, still am. Um, because Anthony Quinn jumped up and hugged him and James Coburn waited in line to hug him. And I said, who's that guy? And they said, it's uh, Mr. Roger Verge. He's the chef here. He owns a restaurant. And just a little thing inside of me said, that's who I want to be. Hmm. I want to be that guy who is in the middle of the, the, the circle and is happy. Doesn't give up his power. Doesn't go hide in the corner. Doesn't go to a cave somewhere to get happy. He's in the middle of it. And he's happy. He appears to be happy. I got to get to know this guy. Hmm. So I waited till after service. And... Um, not to make a long story, but I ended up accomplishing that goal for the next 25 years till he passed away. I was his grasshopper. Oh, so yeah. I, I got to see the way you can conduct a life through him of service that um, brings you joy and the people around you joy. And then I, as I started to realize what his power was, because he never talked to me about it, but his power was service, I realized that that's sort of the common link of every wise teaching is how service is the most selfish thing you can do. And then I had the uh, great fortune to be taken to a lecture by His Holiness. And when he walked in the room, I said, <laughs> oh my God, he's, he's Mr. Roger Berger on, on steroids. <laughs> how do I get to know him? Because I want to, that's who I, that's who I want to be. Mm -hmm. And I got very fortunate and worked my way in and I still serve on his board and got to cook for him and travel with him for a while and see that it was about service. So when I look back then at my life, I can now tell the story of, oh yeah, it was about service. It was, but that wasn't in my brain when I was doing the things I was doing. It took me a long time to get to a place to be really thankful that I was of service because it saved my life because mm. I see where, the other journey can lead you. And, and when I say save my life, save my life both in days on the planet and time spent enjoying those days on the planet, which are maybe more important than how many days you actually get. Uh, Shep, you got to tell the story of your first cooking experience for His Holiness. <laughs> okay, please. So, so you know, uh, Hard not to bring your, your ego, at least your, for me, it was hard not to bring my ego. Somewhere ego and service can, yes, you know, can get lost at each other. So when um, they accepted the invitation, I decided for whatever reason I decided it for, that I had to, A, make it an experience he would never forget because it was so... Uh, generic and beautiful and B try and um, try and really go out of my way 
to um, make him feel comfortable and at home um, and not not um, not make him some object out there that's just to be revered, but to treat him in a human way. I said, if my uncle was coming to my house, what would be my first thought? And my first thought would be to make him chicken soup, matzo ball soup, which is what I do for most people who come. What is his matzo ball soup? So I start researching. And when I research the culinary arts of, of Tibet, the only thing they really have is yak. They have, they eat it as stew. They make butter out of it. They have tea. Um, but there was nothing else. The only thing I could find. So I talked to some Tibetan people down at the Dharma Center here in Maui. We're lucky to have one. And they said, oh, yeah, yak tea. If someone's coming to visit you, if your aunt's coming over, you make yak tea. That's the offering. Yeah. So I made my mind up. I was getting him yak tea. The first, when he steps foot in Hawaii, he's getting a cup of yak tea at his first meal because I want it to be like a matzo ball soup. <laughs> so I go way out of my way to get yak, which smells up my whole house for like two weeks. I've never smelled anything like it. <laughs> it smells like every bad sock in a football <laughs> game. Um, and I'm sure you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, when I, the only requirement when... The only thing they said to me when I said I would like to offer my services to, to feed him when he's in Hawaii, Rinchen Darlow, who was his representative at the time, wonderful man, said, we would love for you to do it, but you can't have any expectations of ever meeting him. If you have an expectation that you will ever meet him because you're doing this, please don't do it. Mm -hmm. And you have to tell everybody who works for you the same thing. They didn't care about what I fed him. They didn't care. It was all about don't have expectations. So I didn't think, I told all my people, we probably won't meet him. Um, we, we're going to do this because we want to do it. And we did this beautiful, um, if I do say so, my ego says so. We had, <laughs> we served them chocolate. We had the tree outside with the farmer. We served them an egg. We had the person who, who raised the chickens outside his window. So you could see the faces of everything he was eating. Uh-huh. Who provided it? The fishermen. The, the, you know. So anyway, so first morning, five o'clock service. I'm so um, out of my brain, out of myself. I am so nervous <laughs> and, and so out of my body and so zoned on the meal that I get, I was staying in a house. I get halfway to the Dharma Center at 4.30 in the morning and realize I didn't get dressed. I have to go back and get dressed. I'm naked in the car. No. I'm thinking about how do I launch the tag. The so I no. get there. I, I get there and Richard says, um, we need you to bring him breakfast. And it's like, oh my God, you're kidding me. I'm completely not prepared for this mentally at all. That, you know, I'm, I'm now going to be interfacing with this holiness in a one-on-one -on -one situation, which is beyond any dream I've ever had in my life. Mm. And I'm just so nervous. And I, so they, they put a cloth on my mouth and I go walking up about 25 steps up to where he is and I can hear the plates <laughs> like moving the tray. <laughs> I'm shaking the tray so hard <laughs> that the plates are cracked. <laughs> oh. and, 
and the tea is in there and i'm so proud of like thinking i am the coolest guy in the world i'm bringing him yak tea this is unbelievable he's going to be so happy and my ego sort of you know gets lost somewhere in there <laughs> and uh, the door opens I, I knock on the door and he says oh come in and uh i walk in and he's shaving he's got his robe down about halfway and he's looking in the mirror and he's shaving big smile he goes oh breakfast and uh said, yes your holiness he says, oh good 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 put it on table and uh, now i'm thinking right i see him mm -hmm. go like this and I'm, oh my god this is my moment this is i'm the coolest guy in the world and he goes yak tea and it, like my head is now like of the cool you know i don't know if i can get out of the room my head is so big <laughs> oh yak tea oh you know that's why i leave tibet <laughs> <laughs> It was so perfect. Uh, oh. and, and, and what I realized later on is he does that with everyone. I'm sure you've seen him a number of times. He always Man. realizes that people enter the room with a sense of revere and he wants it to be a sense of human. Mm. So he always does something to mm. get that out of the air. Uh, and it was just beautiful. So yeah, that was a, oh, a so great journey. Then I got yeah. to go to Trinidad with them. Oh really? Which was beautiful. Mm. A great Trinidad story. Oh, tell please. Which is uh, so who he is. Mm. Um, why it's just so beautiful. We go to Trinidad, and it, there's only a couple of us. There's no entourage. Rinchin, one security guy, and me. That's it. We get there and we're staying in a hotel. They wouldn't let me actually cook in the hotel. I was supervising the cooking. They wouldn't let me actually do the. And um, there's no Dharma Center in Trinidad. Mm. There's no Buddhist community in Trinidad. We go to a football stadium for a presentation. There's 50 people in a 20,000 seat stadium. Really? Nobody. And we get back that night, and I say to Rinchen, Rinchen, you know, I've, I've, I've now been around and studied enough to see how much need there is for the Tibetan people. And um, I, I know enough to know that His Holiness is really the gathering point to try and bring attention to the plight, as well as resources. Um, and I know the demand for his time is so unbelievable. What are we doing here? There's no Buddhists. There's no Dharma Center. There's no Lamas. There's nobody who cares. What are we doing here? And he said, and he said pardon me, but you know, I, I just can't help but ask this question. It's like in my nature. What do and he said, um, three years ago, His Holiness was at a wedding in India. He sat next to a lady. She said, would you visit my country? He said, yes. That's the lady he was sitting next to at the baseball, at the football stadium last night. That's simple. He said, yes. Jeez. And here we are. And that was so beautiful. I started crying. It was like, wow, that's so beautiful. He said, yes. He said, yes. That kind of uh, caring 
my god. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. really special. Yeah. I mean, and you, everybody out there who, uh, I mean, I hope one day you would get a chance to see him. Although, uh, actually, uh, this is, I think I remember you telling me that he's, now that he's aging, uh, he's using uh, the web, the internet, to connect with people more. Well, and I did see that. Mickey may have, not me, but that, that would make sense. Mm, yeah. But uh, whenever, I mean, everybody knows of the the compassion i mean living buddha of compassion is his holiness and, yeah and and even if you're not fortunate and have the kind of karma that uh, shep has <laughs> to spend that kind of personal time with him you can just he connects with you in a 20,000 where there is 20,000 people and you feel cared for each and every person feels cared for it is just extraordinary and uh yeah, he he's uh, he's the example for us. I mean, I think uh, that's just no question about it. In this, especially in this age that we're in, <laughs> I saw him the other day on something on the net, and someone actually it was one of these things where he was like they filmed him. He was in Dharamsala, and and the people oh, were somewhere else in America, or actually it wasn't America. I think it was Europe, and they got around to talking about our president and he and he kind of said you know no we shouldn't be talking about the leader of the most powerful nation in the world he didn't want to go there but then yeah. he said but he sure has kind of funny hair it's <laughs> 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 so great like, oh my god yeah he's got to be yeah yeah it's a tough yeah yeah, all around for everybody. Oh boy. Um. So, I you know one other thing occurs to me in in just in all the people that you've worked with and the experiences you had. And I remember we talked a little. You talked a little bit about your long um, friendship and uh, partnership with Alice. And uh, there, I have to imagine that there's a tremendous trust component. In, in this particular relationship and many of your relationships. Can you just talk about that a little bit, what that means to you, trust? I mean, it's something we talk a lot about uh, at these retreats, you know. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, you know, with Ramdas and, and Krishnas. It's it's such an important thing. It's the thing that uh, I met Ramdas back in the day, in the 60s, late 60s, and that the trust that was engendered by simply... Uh, meeting him and just eye-to-eye contact, uh, somebody who cared so much that they weren't distracted by anything else or anybody else. It was just me in that I had not had that kind of care, not even maybe my mother when I was a baby or something, but I had not had that kind of an experience. And, And I do tell people that that kind of trust is a building block of being able to be um, more open um, and more compassionate, more kind. You know, it's so talk to me a little bit about your own experiences around so what, you know, so For my particular path that somehow has been chosen for me and, and I'm happily walking down, um, yeah. trust is really the whole, is for, for the business side, 
of what I, of my relationship with most humans. Um, trust is at the core of it. Mm. And because I, I, I think so far out of the box, um, that is an art and, and, and I'm behind the lines. I'm usually behind the curtain. I'm usually dealing with something that's in front of the curtain, whether that's something is an artist, whether that's something is a chef, whether that's something is an idea, whether that, whatever that thing is, I, I'm trying to uh, put a picture frame on it and make it accessible to an audience. Um, and so much of the things that I do are radical. And, um, and, and untested, and that's what makes it work. So it demands trust, um, and it, trust is all, I mean, for me, it's gut level. It manifests itself in relationships in different ways. I, I never signed contracts with an artist. Hmm. That's almost a false kind of a, a reason for trust. You know, <laughs> that, that's a nice glitter. Um, but, you know, for example, um, in my relationship with 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 all my artists, um, I have failed so many times. Mm. I have been wrong so many times, and it's their neck on the line. So if they don't trust my motive for the situation I put them into, we don't have a relationship. And if we if I can't put them in relationships that can fail then I can't really accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish on the win side. So how does that manifest itself? So I tell a story about Alice. Um, first time he's doing a stadium show. Hmm. Um, it's a baseball stadium. He's Alice Cooper. He can't just go in and stand on the stage and play. That's what everybody else does. And this was actually the first baseball stadium in America other than the Beatles that anyone was doing a concert. So it was a really special moment. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do? So I come up with the idea of shooting him at a cannon across the city at the circus trip. <laughs> and again, I'll make the story short, but I went to guys who have built stuff for me. I get the cannon. We go to break in the cannon the first day. And it's a, you know, a lot of a lot of drama, torchlight, Alice gets in the cannon. We light the cannon, huge explosion. The the gag is that Alice goes through a trapdoor and a dummy gets shot across the stadium. Alice has been driven around to there. The dummy dummy comes out, it goes one foot and drops dead. Nothing. There is no person in the room except me <laughs> and Alice knows what's happening. He's in the cannon. And driving, he doesn't know. He just points awful quiet out there. <laughs> it's probably the worst thing I've ever saw in my life. We, but we have fifty thousand people, three days away, who I have made the horrible mistake of advertising. Watch Alice get shot out of a cannon across the stadium. What are we going to do? I said, go to sleep. I'll figure it out now. If you don't have trust, that turns into a nuclear war between an artist and a manager. What did you do to me? It's the most embarrassing moment of my life. I can't believe you made me do this. No, nothing. Can we make it work? Yeah, go to sleep. Great, see you in the morning. Jeez. Second day, equally as bad. I turned it into a giant penis. 
I'm going to have it masturbate across the, the stadium. When <laughs> comes out, it's horrible. We're now two days away. I'm backstage. I go to, no one knows it's me. It's Alice's face. Not a peep, not a word, not a complaint. The end of the story is I, I may believe that he got blown up in the can and I had to put him in a hospital for a night. We did the show from a wheelchair. With dirt. <laughs> the, the town said, this is the greatest guy in the world. He actually came from his hospital bed. And oh, did. We got through it, but there's an example mm. of trust. You know, um, same thing, you know, same thing with my chefs. I, I, I said, you guys got to work. If I get you a TV network, you got to work free for five years. Then you will be so rich that you won't even talk to me. And they all signed on. They all trusted me. And now you see where the chefs are. But yeah. that one worked. There's plenty that fell. So trust is, for me, it's the whole game. Um, because if I don't have trust, I can't do what I enjoy doing, which is jumping ahead of some a project, an artist, a person for a year or two and saying, come this way, come this way. Here's how to come. Watch out. There's a big hole there. Come this way. Um, and um, so, so trust is everything. Yeah. 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 On all levels. Sort of rapid. Yeah. yeah. Hey. That sort of cover the trust there. It's a tough yeah. one because trust yeah. is really what it's all about with family, with friends, with business. It's, yeah. yeah. Across the board. And, uh, and on the you know in, in the spiritual realm on the spiritual path that trust you know people talk about faith you know faith in something that's obviously not your ego and personality and so on and and it starts with some trust you know and i think that you have that you had and have the trust in yourself as somebody who was going to do whatever was necessary to serve these people that you managed and these situations, you know, so I think that that's, uh, yeah, uh, that's something definitely to be emphasized. And the other thing is, um, and we just mentioned it, I think in the very beginning, you talked about, you know, the Vietnam War. And of course, that was uh, huge for me. I was living up in Montreal and we were getting people across the border who were escaping the draft and so on. And uh, and there was a, a a deep desire in all of us to make changes and uh and i think once we got to a place where we realized the fall down of the white knight shall i call it you know and how that was a little bit more involved in 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 ego and and we saw a lot of that in the political sphere of people trying to make changes and ramdas himself talks a lot about the, the the way to make changes is to make changes inside yourself first, and then you're able to make a change without being angry and so on. And I just, just want to lightly touch upon what we're going through right now and, and how you feel. Uh, there's so much of that right now, so much anger, and it's so counterproductive. And I myself, I'm there. I'm, I'm not able to. I keep falling in the pit of anger and hostility and I, I keep trying to crawl out of it and I find it's really really tough it's um, it's you know watching the decay of everything I believe in in front of my eyes um, 
is difficult. It's, I, 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 uh, this is the hardest in my lifetime I've had to work to um, not fall into anger. And, and I find it really, I, I, one of the things I really don't like about myself is how hard it is for me to have dinner with someone who's a supporter of Trump. Yeah. Like my, if they say something at a dinner, my whole attitude changes and I don't like that in myself. Um, but I'm, I have real trouble getting rid of that button. Um, I just, you know, they talk and I see the babies in the jails in their eyeballs. And um, it's really hard for me to find compassion in those moments. I, I, I have to work harder. Yeah. And that's where His Holiness is such an important figure for us yeah. all. Absolutely. Right. I mean, you you spent so much time. You did spend quite a bit of time with him, and uh, how? I mean, just another example of of that in him, that kind of caring that he had. Does something come to mind? It's a, uh, you know that that's the antidote, as far as I'm concerned. The actions that he takes, his holiness, and and his interactions with people that you can see. Um. um. Yeah, I mean, for him, it's a daily. It's every moment. Mm. It's who he is every moment. Um, I remember we had I, we did an event in Maui, and um, it was right when the Secret Service was really um, starting to protect him, um, and started to sort of take over. Um, I don't know how much dealings you've had with this whole illness, but there, there was a moment in time when the Secret Service became the uh, overdriving scheduler of his itinerary on, on dates and his movements and his actions. And um, I had a, uh, I was doing the event here on Maui and doing an event on Maui to begin with is very difficult. And, um, <clears throat> Dealing with the Secret Service is very difficult. Um, and we had um, a larger crowd than we had ever experienced in Maui. We had 12,000 people at a free concert. We had never experienced that before. So crowd control. So police and Secret Service became very significant in this. Um, we had to go to a, a venue that didn't have facilities. Um, and so uh, understandably, they were very involved. Mm. And um, there's no real infrastructure for producing things here. And like with everything that's um, a power source, there's a lot of weird energy that's attracted to those lights. So when you're producing an event with that much light, you know that there's going to be a lot of things attracted to it that are difficult. So um, I had brought a bunch of people in and we were working for, way too many hours for way too, way too many days and dealing with way too many distractions. Um, and saying, why are we actually doing this? Like, why are we doing this? You know, that moment you get in the, in the life of a project. Um, and then a letter came in from a grandfather in Honolulu oh. whose um, granddaughter was dying of brain cancer. And, um, he had a dream that if his holiness would touch his daughter, his granddaughter, she, she'd live. 
I didn't particularly believe his dream, but I wanted to support his, his, you know, his, his belief and his emotions. And he didn't have money for tickets, so we, he, um, we got in the office. We all got so excited, we started crying. Now we know why we're doing this. Now we know. Now we got it. It's for this moment. It's for this one moment for this girl to be touched by his holiness. That's why we're doing it. And we all got so excited. The energy came right back in. We're all now pumped up. And I couldn't get approval from the Secret Service and the police to allow that to happen. But I don't take no for an answer. So um, I fly the grandfather in and the granddaughter. I give him my kids' badges. Um, I have four adopted kids here. I got two of them to give up their badges because Secret Service had to approve every badge. So we got the grandfather and you know, two, two of my kids couldn't come. Mm. I positioned them right next to the stage in between you know, the mayor, all the people that the Secret Service led it. Um, the senators, the mayor, the pope, the duke. And as we're walking to the stage, I turn to the Secret Service guy, and it's only his representative, and the Secret Service guy knows from the mainland. And I say, you know, we have a custom here in Hawaii. Uh, you can't go on a stage before you're blessed by a young child. And I, I have a child right by the stage. And we turn around to take his holiness to the child. His holiness is with us anymore. He's holding the child. That's a one word. There were 40 people there. Look at him. He's holding and kissing. The child survived. When his holiness came back two years later, I got another letter. The first time I heard from the grandfather, never sent me, saying, can I bring her to thank his holiness at the talk? She's alive. Oh, um, my. But he just knew. That's who he is. Yeah. That's who he is. So no matter what gets around them, no matter how much, how many doors they put in front of him, <laughs> he's always going to pick the right door. Because he's at home. Unbelievable. Well, what a beautiful story, Shep. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my. Wow. Thank you so much uh, for hanging out here. Oh, thank me. you. When are you back? When is uh, the next uh, retreat? Well, I might be back a little later in the summer, actually, to hang out with Ramdas. We'll see. But okay. uh, and if I do, definitely we'll get in touch. And everybody out there, please, you will enjoy both the book and the film Mike Myers did of Shep. Uh, and I know you've gotten a lot of love from that film, yeah. Supermensch. By the way, I'm, we're saying Supermensch like everybody knows what a mensch is. Okay. <laughs> You give me your uh, the description of mensch. I would say someone who does things for the right reasons. Right. Okay. And here we are. And yeah. uh, thank you. Uh, and you just uh, oh, yeah, really. <laughs> and as we say, namaste. Thank you so much, Chef. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, see you next week on Mind Rolling on BeHereNowNetwork.com, and we will have links to the film and the book on the show notes. So see you later. <laughs>